I just feel before we get started, I'd like to pray. Um, I was thinking about, you know, we had the earthquake, and um, and it really hit hard in Oaxaca, too, the state right next to Chiapas. And it um, that area seemed to be worse hit than even our little area was as far as the villages and stuff like that. So I just want to take a moment to pray, okay? Father, we come before you, and we thank you for your goodness. We thank you, Father God, for your mercy upon us, Father. I want to thank you once again, Father, for just the the way, Father, when this earthquake hit, Lord, that our children, Lord, were spared, and um, our church members, Lord, you, you just put your hand around us, Father God, and I thank you so much, Lord for the way that we were protected during that time. And, Father, I ask you now, I come before you, Lord, with these precious brothers and sisters, Lord, and we ask you, God, to just um, extend your mercy out over Oaxaca, over Chiapas, Lord, those that have lost their homes and their businesses, um, the people that lost loved ones, God, during this time. Father, we ask you in Jesus' name to bring comfort to their hearts, Lord. And, Father, I pray, Father, that the right resources reach them, Father God, as the government is coming in and they're bringing in different um, helps, God. I just pray for the resources to reach them, Father, that the corruption, Father, that that normally it happens around this time, God, that it would just be um, stopped in Jesus' name. And that, Lord, that the, the, the help that's coming would reach the people who need it. And, Father, we're reminded again, we lift up the people of Houston, God, and that surrounding area. Lord, the people in Florida and the Keys, Lord, and, and the Bahamas, Lord, we lift up those that have, have suffered, God, during this last month, God, the wildfires in different parts, Lord. We just lift up these different people, Father God, and we're asking you through all of these, these different um, storms, Father God, these different earthquakes, Lord, that people would look to you, Father. They would put their eyes upon you, and they would look to you, Lord, for their help in these times of trouble. Father, we pray that your church, again, God, would just reach out, Father God, touching and, and just, um, God, just pray praying and bringing the help that is needed to needed to these places we thank you and praise you for this night god and i ask you father god for your just your anointing upon the upon the word and the revelation that you've given father i thank you and i praise you in the name of jesus christ amen okay would you go um turn with me to if you have your bibles with you first corinthians 14 this scripture, um, I was I was praying and uh, meditating, and I just was reading the scripture. And you know how sometimes a, a word will just jump out. You've read it a lot, and all of a sudden, something just different jumps out. And as I was reading this, 1 Corinthians 14, verse 1, it says, Follow after charity and desire spiritual gifts, but rather that you may prophesy. And then I have it here in the Amplified. It says, Eagerly Pursue and seek to acquire this love. Make it your aim, your great quest, and earnestly desire and cultivate the spiritual endowments, the gifts, especially that you may prophesy. This was out the out of the Amplified version. And as I was reading that, I looked up this word um, in, in um, I guess in the New King James, follow after or eagerly pursue. And this word has a, it's a very, very strong word in Greek. And it means to pursue, to prosecute, persecute, but also to pursue in a good sense. Um, to pursue with repeated acts. It's something that we set as a goal in our life. That we are to pursue after love. That is the goal of our life, is pursuing love. 
it was really interesting. Um, Bill was going to preach in, our, in the morning, and then I was speaking in the, in the evening. We really didn't talk about what each other, what we were going to be speaking about. And so as he began to, um, I, I kind of overheard, he was reading some scripture references and getting himself ready. And all of a sudden, my antennas were out, and I thought, this will be interesting. And so I really didn't know what he was going to be sharing about in the morning about love and, and putting love, making love our aim. And that was the message I felt that the Lord had given me for this evening. And it was a revelation as I, as I had medita- I was meditating upon the scripture, pursuing love, making love our aim in all things, that love is the aim. And, and so I've been teaching in the Bible schools and, and for a number of years and and um, I love, and, and if you've been in the, the missions conferences, I think several times I've brought things out of the tabernacle of Moses. And I love, I taught that class for years and years. I taught 12 weeks on the tabernacle of Moses. And, and, and every time I've taught it, it's something, the Lord brings something new because it's, it just screams Jesus Christ. Every, every article, uh, every piece of furniture, every fabric, everything, the sacrifices, the, the feasts, everything is just shouting out that the Savior is coming, Emmanuel is coming. And, and so as I was meditating on this, I w- my mind went back to something that was on the priest garments. And I went back and I started studying. I felt like the Lord was kind of leading me back into that and studying through the priest garments and what he was wearing. And the high priest, you know, the, I wanna, if you'll go with me to Exodus, I want to show you something that's really interesting. Exodus 25. In verse 1, and I want to lay a foundation first so that when we jump into this, the thing that the, real, the Lord really showed me, that you know I'm not just making it all up, but Exodus 25, verse 1 through 9. And the Lord spoke unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel that they bring me an offering of every man that giveth it willingly with his heart. You shall take my offering. And this is the offering which you shall take of them, gold and silver brass, and blue and purple and scarlet, and fine linen and goat's hair, and ram skins dyed red, and badger skins and shittim wood, oil for the light, spices for anointing oil, and for sweet incense, onyx stones and stones to be set in the ephod and in the breastplate. And let them make me a sanctuary, and this was the reason, that I may dwell among them, according to all that I have shown thee. Um, after the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all of the instruments thereof, even so you shall make it. And this phrase is repeated over and over in Exodus. You shall make it according to the pattern, the detail, the description, the th- exactly in the way that I have told you to do this. And the Lord emphasized this over and over and over. The pattern that I've shown you, the pattern that I've shown you. See that you don't get outside of the pattern I've shown you. And we know that it was so important, the pattern, that when they initiated, finally they came together and they made this this amazing structure, this mobile structure. And it was three parts, the outer court, inner court, and holy of holies. And as they, as, he built, as they built this structure, the Lord put special anointing upon the artisans. And the artisans came in, and they began to build these beautiful, um, this structure and, and, and to embroider these curtains. And they built the, the outer court. They built the, um, the altar, and, and then they built the, the fountain. And I, 
lose the laver. And then when they went into the inner court, uh, they, they built the, the lampstand. I'm, all of these words are in Spanish in my mind. The lampstand and the, the table of showbread and the incense altar. And the walls were covered in gold. And it was about 10 feet high. As you looked from the outside, there was a curtain that went all the way around. It was about 7 feet high. And when you looked at it, all you could see was this amazing white and all of these things speak of something. It is the most wonderful study to show you the intricacies of the love of Christ in our life. And, and so then what the Lord did, he, he ordained a priesthood, and he chose Aaron, Moses' brother. And he said, Aaron will be a high priest before me. And as I said, the, every detail had to be specific. And the Lord said, there is a certain way you will minister here. You will walk in a divine order before me. I thank you. And so as, as he set up this priesthood, he said, these are the acceptable sacrifices. There were five sacrifices that would be acceptable before the Lord. And these are the people that are allowed to bring the sacrifice. And they were to go in and they were the, the people, the, 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 the children of Israel, when they committed a sin, they would bring an animal in. And it would always, it was in relationship to the type of sin that they had committed. They'd bring this animal in. They would lay their hands upon that innocent animal. They would confess their sin over that innocent animal. And then the animal was slain in their place. And it had to be bloody. It had to be bloody. And that blood was taken. It was sprinkled upon the altar. And then they, this was a substitute for their sin, the substitute. And that's why John the Baptist, when he saw Jesus Christ, he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Because all of this were types and shadows. They were copies of things that were to come. And Jesus being the Lamb of God that would eventually take away all the sins of the world. And so as I was meditating and asking the Lord, God, this pursuing of love, this walking after love, of focusing on love, all of a sudden I thought of something just very out of the blue. And it had to do, if you have up there... The, um, the picture of the priest with uh, the, um, his garments. And this is, um, this is found in Exodus 28, 33 through 35. Okay, first maybe we'll read Exodus 28, and, I'll, and we'll just read 1 through 3. And it says, And take... Thou unto thee Aaron thy brother and his sons with him from among the children of Israel, that he may minister unto me in the priest's office, even Aaron, Nadab, Abihu, Eleazar, Ithamar, Aaron's sons. And they shall make, or thou shalt make holy garments for Aaron thy brother for glory and for beauty, for glory and beauty. And if you jump over now with me um, in 33, verse 33, same chapter, I promise if you hang in here with me, you're going to see something. 33. And this was, there's a description of the garment, this high priest's garment. And then it it brings down to this particular part of his garment. And it's in, okay, um, chapter 28, 33. And beneath upon the hem of it, thou shalt make pomegranates of blue and of purple and of scarlet, round about the hem thereof, and bells of gold between them round about, a golden bell 
and a pomegranate, a golden bell and a pomegranate, upon the hem of the robe round about. And it shall be upon Aaron to minister, and his sound shall be heard when he goeth in unto the holy place before the Lord, and when he comes out, that he shall not die. And so when Aaron had these garments on, the bottom of his garments had these bells on them and pomegranates made out of these colors, these specific colors. And God was very specific. He said there'll be a pomegranate, there'll be a little bell made out of gold, solid gold, and another pomegranate. And when Aaron would go in to minister, there would be a little sound. There would be this little sound as he was ministering in there. And when um, I, I actually gave this, I was speaking and teaching this, and I had one of my girls that is a beautiful dancer, and we made um, a skirt out of solid blue, and we put a hundred bells and pomegranates on the bottom. And when she began to worship before the Lord and dance, you could hear these little bells as they moved. And so when Aaron was going into the holy place, there would be this sound, and it was a soft sound because the pomegranates, the symbol of the pomegranate, was made out of a piece of fabric that was folded up into a ball, and it had specific colors on it. But that fabric ball would absorb the sound so that the bells weren't clanging against each other. It was an absorbing sound, so it had to be a soft, maybe a muted sound as these bells were, were just making this noise as he's moving. And so the whole time that he's in the holy place, and he's not in the holy of holies with this robe on, but he's in the holy place, and he's moving around and he's tending to the lamps and he's tending to the bread table, the table of, of showbread, and he's, he's going over and he's lifting up the incense on the, the, the golden altar. And the whole time he's doing this, there is a noise. And it's a soft noise. And everyone on the outside of that tent knew that he was in there and that he was doing the job he was supposed to be doing because there was a noise as he was moving around. And I began to say, well, Lord, what does this have to do with this? Why? Why a pomegranate? And why a, a bell? And, and I begin to, and even the fact, I, I went and I, I got some of these colors out to show you because... You're doing a lot of prophetic art, and, and I thought, wow, this is really cool. So these, these pomegranates, and, and these were the colors that were in the tabernacle. These pomegranates had to be made out of certain colors, and so there was a red, and then there was a blue. And somehow we don't know exactly how they, they made it look like a pomegranate because these are not exactly the colors of a pomegranate, but they used all of these colors, and then they made these little fabric balls. But it had to be this and then another color, which was fine linen, which is white, just a pure white. And so those little balls that were representing the pomegranate were made up of these colors, which is interesting because this were the colors of the door. The same colors were used in the door of the tabernacle. There was only one entrance. It was a, it was death, a penalty of death. If you tried to enter in in any other um, if you tried to go under the curtains or tried to go over the top, there was only one legal entrance. And that gate and was a, an embroidered cloth, and it was embroidered with these same colors. And years ago, uh, the Lord had given me some, um, some, a little bit of revelation into it as I studied and I saw it. And, and one is this, is that door is Jesus Christ, and there is no legal way into the Father's presence except through the Son of God. And, and so as I studied that Jesus, the door, there were four posts that were holding up the door for him to go in. And there are four gospels that hold up the testimony of Christ. And in that, you see that you see Jesus is the son of man. 
the red representing the blood of Jesus Christ, the Son of Man that came to give his blood so that you and I could walk before the Lord as adopted sons and daughters, that we would be hid in Christ. We know this was probably not quite the right blue because the blue was the color of heaven. He was the Son of God. This was part of of God, Son of God that came down to become the Son of Man. And when you mix these two colors on a palette, as an artist you get a third color, and the third color is this. It's a purple, and the purple was the most expensive color that you could ever get. Only kings and priests could ever afford to have purple because it took, I think it was like 73,000 snails to come up with a thimbleful of dye for purple. And that's why Lydia was so rich because she was a seller of purple. And purple could only be put on kings. And so when you take the son of man and then you take the, the son of God and you mix it together, you get the king of kings. And these were the three colors that were embroidered into that that tabernacle entrance. And these were the colors of the pomegranates. And I was saying, Lord, what is this? And, And why are you showing me this? And very clearly, I begin to realize the, the bells have no seed, but the pomegranate is full of seed. In fact, if you break one open, I think there's a picture there someplace of a pomegranate on that thing that you could, yeah. If you break it open, it is just seeds. The fruit is seeds. There is an old, um, a Jewish custom that there's like 613 or 30 different seeds within a pomegranate, every, uh, one for every law of the Torah. And it is very symbolic of the Jewish nation, the pomegranates. When the, when the spies went in to, and they came back, a lot of people know they brought back the grapes. Remember, the grapes were so heavy, they had to carry them on a stick between two people. But one of the other um, signs that the land was so fruitful was they brought back pomegranates. When Solomon built his temple on the two pillars that, that were the, the stable points in entering in, the bronze pillars, there were 200 pomegranates around the top. Speaking of fruitfulness, this, this speaks of fruitfulness. It is full of seed, and each seed has potential to multiply. And so the, the bells have no seed in them. It's just a noise. It's, it's a golden bell, so we know it's something that is divine, something that is holy, because anything in the, in the tabernacle that was made out of gold, it spoke of God himself. It, it spoke of divinity and holiness. It spoke of God. That's why the Ark of the Covenant, it was gold. The, the, the mercy seat was solid gold. Those things spoke of God. And, and so these little golden bells, they speak of the Lord, but they have no seed because only a fruit can reproduce. And so I was, I was thinking, Lord, you didn't, all the details matter, so what is this? And as I did, I, I began to think of this. Well, you know as well as I do, Galatians 5, the fruits of the Spirit, how important they are. When we walk in Christ, in the fullness of Christ, we begin to walk out these fruits of the Spirit in our life. We find we are more patient and kind and loving as we submit to the Lord and we walk in sanctification and as he purifies us and he prunes us. Have you ever been in that pruning where he says, I'm going to bring more fruit out of you, Tammy, so I'm going to cut you back. And you think, God, I'm dying. I don't understand what's going on. And he cuts you back a little bit more and you're going, God, but I thought this is what it was, was supposed to happen. I thought this was the purpose. And he cuts you back again. He says, because I am a good gardener and I'm going to bring fruit out of your life. 
And I'm not going to just let things run wild. I'm going to train you and cut you back so that you're more fruitful and you're more fruitful. And before long, you find all of it, that all of a sudden, through all the trials and the tribulation and all the problems that you face, that you have become someone different. That all of a sudden, the presence of Christ is upon you. And you walk places and, and people are stopping you and saying, what's going on in you? There's something different about you. And it's because the fruit has been cultivated in our lives. And that fruit is the fruit of the Spirit. It is God's fruit in us. And we become fruitful. And so I was thinking Galatians 5, and I was thinking about all those beautiful fruits. And I said, but Lord, what about the bells? What about the bells? And he took me straight to 1 Corinthians 13. And I know you know these scriptures. And it says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and I have not love, I am become as a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and I understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and I have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, and I have not love, it profiteth me nothing. And it goes on in the description of love. But that very first part, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, and I have not love, I am become as a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. Now this chapter is situated between two other chapters. Chapter 12, which speaks about gifts about desiring the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And then comes this chapter, which is about love. And then the next chapter goes right back into the giftings. And so it's gifts, love, and gifts. And it's bells, fruit, and bells. Because the bells draw attention. The bells and the giftings of God, they draw attention. They draw attention especially when we're moving under the anointing of God and you see people being touched and healed, and you see the miraculous happening, it's drawing people's attention. But it's not enough just to walk in giftings. It's not enough just to seek after power and to say, we know God is supernatural. We know and we, we crave, all of us have a craving to walk in the giftings in a greater dimension. We hear about revivals happening in Pensacola, and we all run to Pensacola We hear about the revival in Toronto and we all run to Toronto because there is a hunger in us for a supernatural God and to walk in that dimension. The things that are happening in in Bethel. I've gone to to Reading. I've been in in London and in Brompton, Holy Trinity Brompton, when there was amazing revival that came out. The miracles, the anointing, the things that were happening. And there is a hunger in my heart for a greater, uh, a greater power for people to, to be able to see more healings and to see the Lord move in, in more spectacular ways. We were ministering in Toronto, and Bill was up there preaching, and in the middle of his preaching, he stopped, and he said, the Lord says there's a man here, and your name is Samuel. Uh, Samuel? Samuel? Samuel. And your last name is either House Something to do with house. And you came here because someone forced you. You didn't want to come here today. But someone invited you and you came. And on the road you said, Lord, if you're really real, speak to me. 
And in the middle of Bill's preaching, this is what he said, and then he went on with his preaching. Of course, we were all sitting there going, okay, what was that? And so at the end of this message, this man comes up to Bill, and he says, he said, my name is Samuel Kassa. And I came here because a Russian girl that is very pretty asked me to come. But I didn't want to be here today. And on the road, as we were driving in here, in my mind, I said, oh, God, if you're real, then show me, speak to me. He got saved, baptized in the Holy Spirit. I mean, within that, the Lord did such an amazing work. And that is a bell. That is a bell. Jesus is in the house. Jesus is ministering. This is the bell. It draws attention to Jesus. It draws attention to him, not to the minister. It's drawing attention to Jesus Christ and saying his presence is here. His power is here. It's not just the verbal garbage that we're, that we're just out here saying and doing things. But Jesus Christ is here. And he is powerful. And he's here to transform lives. And especially, I know you need it here, but on the mission field, where you're just fighting against culture and, and, and language problems and trying to communicate in a language that's not your own language, there has got to be power. And I remember years ago, Bill said, you know, people that are against the power of God, against the baptism of the Holy Spirit, he said, I will never be on a mission filled without being filled with the Holy Spirit because we would have no fruit. It is through the miracles, it's through people being healed in our church transformation of the children within our care that it is announcing there is an announcement that jesus christ is here something different is happening in this place but we can be so um we can get into a deception when all we're doing is we're saying i want the power i want to walk in the power I'm looking for the signs and the wonders. And like Bill was talking about this morning, if we don't get grounded in God's word, firmly founded in the word of God, we'll come under deception. Because we're seeking power. We're seeking something without the love. And that was the balance on this priest's garment. Yes, there is a noise when Jesus is in the building. People are getting born again and transformed. People come and they see what's happened on our base. They see these little children. The last one we just got two weeks ago, he has been beaten with an electrical cord. He's eight years old. His mother has put his hand in a fire and burned his hand. The other one we had from about, what, six months ago, the mother put his hand in a hot pan of oil. And she burned this six-year-old's hand until he's got third degree. He's, he, he has to have surgery. We're watching these things. The child that, I, that Bill and I have who was, who was abandoned in a store floor at, at nine days old because she had been born with only part of a leg, one, one normal leg and then a part of another leg. And the mother at nine days old left her laying in the floor of this store in Tapachula. And so there, there we get these children, another child that was left until she atrophied on a concrete floor because she had cerebral palsy and, and no one to take care of her. And people are watching. They watch and they see the transformations. They see what God is doing with these children, children that they despise, children that had no opportunities. And they watch now over 15 years of just, well, 18 years where we've just been putting in and putting in. And it says, be ye not weary in your labors. 
Be weary, be weary, I know it in Spanish. For in due season you will reap a reward if you faint not. If you don't stop. And there's so many times when it is so difficult that you want to stop. And we were laughing in the car because um, last week or a couple of weeks ago, Bill walked into, into the kitchen and looked at me and he said, Tammy, there's no towels here. And I said, I just did the laundry they're in, the, they're in the, the closet. And he says, there are no towels here. And I'm like, there are towels because I washed them and folded them and they're in the closet. And I'm getting offended. And he said to me again, Tammy, there are no towels here. And I looked at him and he said, we'll never throw in the towel. We will never throw in the towel. We won't stop. We'll be, don't be weary in well-doing, for in due season you shall reap a reward if you don't throw in the towel. And I see lots of missionaries that come on the field and that fail on the field and go home, and the majority of it is because they don't persevere. They don't keep pushing forward, trying to lay hold of something more, reaching out to something more, just being able to deal with the times you know, if you think for one moment that anybody's going to appreciate in this world what you do, you're going to find out really quick. Because even Jesus healing the, the sick and raising the dead and doing all of these miracles and, oh, the Messiah has come, Hosanna. And a few days later, they're nailing him to a cross. And if that's what happened to our example, what do you think is going to happen to us? And that's where the tests come. Will you continue to love? Will you continue to lay down your life for other people, even when they want to crucify you? Will you continue to love like Jesus loved? Because it's easy for me to love these guys. It's easy for me to love these guys because you love me. And you've loved me for a long time. And so there's really not a whole lot of reward in this. But there's a man in, in Arriaga right now that wants to kill my husband. And believe me, the test of my love right now um, is I'm being tested in that. That these people that are, that are, that are maligning us and that are, stuff are coming out in the newspapers and a bunch of lies and things. And I keep saying, rejoice when men say all manner of evil against you. Rejoice because they did Jesus just the same way. And we have we have an incredible um, recompense, reward. We have that. It's learning to love those that don't love you, that don't treat you well, that don't value you, that don't see your talents. People that speak about you behind your back, and you know it. They're looking at you in the face, and they're speaking to you and acting so, so sweet and kind, and you know they've been, they've been at you. That's where you're tested. That's where the love comes in, and that's why it's divine. It's a divine fruit. It's a divine love because you can't do it without him. It's a supernatural grace that's on our lives. You can't love in your human ability. You don't have enough of it. It goes so far, and then it stops. I've given a testimony several times about being in Romania, and and we had a scarlet fever epidemic that hit the orphanage, and Bill and I were up day and night with the rest of the staff, and we got three six, three sick, and then there were six, and then there were 12, and we had at that time probably over 70 or 80 children. And it was just going for weeks, and you'd get, 
you'd go in and you'd clean up um, sheets where they'd vomited or had diarrhea and you'd get them clean and then you'd go back in and it'd start all over again. We were trying to work with the communist government. Well, they were, they had a different hat on, but they were communists, the doctors, and, and, and you had to speak to them in the right way. Like in Spanish, some of you that know Spanish, there's a, a, there is a formal word when you're saying you, and then there is a, a familiar word. And if you don't know some very, someone very well, you always say usted, and it's a form of respect, usted. But once you know them, you're tú. And so in, 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 in uh, Romania, it's the same way. There's a, there's a, a polite way, and then there's a, a, a less polite or a more formal, friendlier way to speak. And we were just learning Romanian, and this doctor comes in, and we were giving, oh, we were giving penicillin, every, every, anything that we could find, penicillin, trying to get these kids well. And, and like I said, we'd have to get up at night, and we were, we were giving shots, and we were giving them their uh, um, pills. And so we, it was like we weren't getting any sleep. And she came in, this doctor, and somehow when she was ready to leave, we didn't have a car available right away, and there was a lot of snow outside, and so we were telling her there was a car coming. And somehow in my ability to speak Romanian, I used the familiar tone. I, instead of using like usted, I used tu. And I offended her because she was a doctor. And I, the way I had spoken to her was too familiar. And she was offended with me. And she, and she started to storm out of the orphanage and telling me, I won't come back. I won't come back. And I'm trying to apologize and tell her, I'm sorry. It's because I don't speak Romanian really well. I used the wrong term with you. And she's heading out the door, marching out in the snow. And I'm saying, wait, the car's coming back. We can take you. And I mean, she had her nose in the air. And it's a wonder she didn't die in the snowstorm because, I mean, she had it up in, in the air and she was marching out. And that was our source of penicillin. And so I'm ba- I go back in the house and, and the, in the orphanage and I'm saying, Bill, I just have offended this woman and I don't know what to do. And she's got our penicillin. And so we, were, we talked about it, we prayed, and then for some reason we had to take someone to a bus state to the train station. And when we got to the train station, Bill got out to put the person on the train. And I was out in the van, and, and um, there were some people kind of milling it. I was so tired. And, and this, this man came out, and he knocked on the, the window. And, and in the process of trying to get the window down, I hit the lock, which it locked all the doors on the van. But I finally got the window down, and he said to me, what does this white cross mean on your van? And I said, well, we bring help to Romania. And I'm just, you know, trying to be nice. And he looked at me, and he said, we don't need your help. And I said, well, we bring help to the children of Romania. And he said, our children don't need your help. And I had just been, I had been in about four or five state orphanages, thousands of children living in filth. And, and here he is saying, our children don't need you. And he starts off on this tirade, and people are watching, and they were all just looking at me, just nobody helping or smiling. And, and he finally says to me, he says, well, he said, my God is Ceausescu. And I said, well, he's dead. My God is still alive. And, and so anyway, it shut him up, and, he, and I'm shaking a little bit because the people are staring, and I finally get the window rolled up when a group of gypsy boys came, gypsy teenagers, and they're notorious for, for violence and for stealing and everything, and they start knocking on the window begging. And I just did my hands like that. I don't have anything to give you. And 
they tried to get in the van, and thank God I had hit the lock because when they started trying to get in the van, all the doors were locked all the way around. But they encircled the van. And when they encircled the van, they started pushing it back and forth, and they were screaming and yelling, and the people were watching me, and I was tired, and I just had this thing with this man, and, and I was afraid. And so this policeman walked by, and I hit the horn trying to get his attention. And when I got his attention, he turned around, and instead of helping me, he just smirked at me. And he just, he, and, and he just he didn't do anything. And so this is all happening. And, and finally, my hero comes out of the train station, and he runs towards the van, and these guys take off, and, and he gets in, and I'm just shaken. I'm so shaken up. We're, we've had all of this stuff happening, and the police, the secret police, one time they came and put us up against a wall and made us stand there with our passports, and they, there was just all these different things that had happened because it, was right, it wasn't too long after the fall of communism when Bill and I went there to live. And, and so we go back. I remember I was crying, and I said, Bill, take me home. I want to go home. I want to go back to the United States. I don't want to be here. Nobody appreciates anything, no matter what we do. No matter how much we give, what kind of sacrifices are involved here, Bill, I want to go home. I just want to go home. And, and we got into our apartment, and I remember I got on my knees, and I was just saying, God, please take me home. I don't want to be here. I've been, we'd been there maybe two and a half years in Romania. And as I'm on my knees and I'm saying this, and I said, Lord, it's that nobody appreciates anything that we're doing, that we've left our home, that we've left our families. God, it's nobody. And as clear, I mean, it cut through my mind just as clear. And the Lord said, very quiet. It was a soft, soft voice. And he said, but Tammy, I appreciate it. I appreciate it. And I realized at that moment, who was I there to serve? I'm there to serve Jesus. And it doesn't matter if someone says, oh, great sacrifice, or oh, great thing that you've done, or oh, you've just suffered so much, you poor baby. You know, it, and at that moment, the conviction of God fell on me because we serve a higher purpose. We serve a purpose. We serve a kingdom. We serve a king. And the only two things in this world that truly matter is loving him and loving others. And if you fail in those two things, you've failed it all. And I don't care how good you are. I don't care how much knowledge you have, how talented you are, how much time you spend in a church. If you can't get those two things straight, you're in trouble. Because those are the only two things that matter. The fruit, loving someone, sacrificing for someone, being patient, being kind, letting joy in the midst of my trials brim to the top and bubble up, having those things in my life produce fruit in somebody else's life. It's not the bells and the whistles, although those are great. We love to see people healed. But I've seen, I've seen ministers prophesy and knowing they have no love. I've seen people serve knowing they have no love. Um, in, my, in the culture in Mexico, the culture there is very service. I mean, the women serve. And I mean, they get in there when we have an event, the women are serving. But I've also had to go in and, and bring correction to them because sometimes they're serving 
so they can show you up that you're not serving enough. I will make a bigger sacrifice. You just look at what I'm doing, and you, you're doing nothing. You, you marry, you know, and they take on that Martha spirit. And even in that, I said, this doesn't count. If you can't serve others, if you can't lay down your life for someone else, this doesn't count. It's because of love and only because of love. And when that priest was moving, he was a symbol of Christ. He was Aaron. The Bible says, if you go and read Hebrews and 7, 8, and 9, and you'll see that Jesus Christ is our great high priest. And every article that he had on that, of that clothing, it represents something. And there is a balance of seeking gifts and pursuing love. You have to have the balance because if you go either direction, if I'm going to err, I'm going towards love. That's where I'm going. I would rather be known for love. I would rather have that as my reputation, that as my calling card, than, ah, oh, that woman, she prophesizes or she has the gift of healing or anything else. I'm going for love. And I've asked the Lord over and over, God, let that be my inheritance, that I give this to our children, that we become these examples of what it is to truly love. And so I want to leave you with some things. I, one of the things, I've seen people minister, and I've seen them get up sometimes, and they speak the right thing. I have, I can, every word that comes out of their mouth, I can say yes and yes, but there's something off. And you feel it. You know, you know sometimes you don't know why you feel it, and you're, you're sitting there and you're going, God, you know, everybody else is really getting into this. I just, something's not right. And I, that's the problem with discernment is that there is, I said, there's a bite in all of those gifts. If you discern, you discern things. Sometimes other people don't discern. If you have the gifts of healing, not everybody gets healed. And you have to deal with that pain. Prophetically, sometimes the Lord gives you a word that you don't really want to give. You know, and so all of these gifts, there's a price in them. There's a cost in them. And, and so sometimes you see people get up and they're, they're preaching and you're going, I know this. It, or you see people on the mission field. And they're making great sacrifices, but there's something inside of you, and you're going, something's wrong. And I, and I, I have this illustration for you. I said, this is what it feels like when people are When people are not ministering in love, and it's just words, it's just truth, and there is no love backing it up and giving it the anointing, then it's just a sound. And it's not even just a sound, it is an irritating sound. And I've had people come and try to set me straight at times or bring correction to my life. And maybe they were right on, spot on, that it was something I needed to change. But because they didn't serve it to me on a, on a tray of love, I couldn't receive it. And the Lord has always, he's spoken to me this for years. You have a right to correct, Hemi, when you can serve it on a tray of love. If you can't serve it in love, you have no right to bring correction to anybody. And I remember because we were in Venezuela and this little servant lady, we were in this woman's house and she was taking really, she was taking good care of us in this house, but she had this servant. And this lady came to Bill and I every um, afternoon at two o'clock 
And we would be studying for the meetings in the night, and she would come out on the patio where we were real timid, and she had a tray. And on that tray, she'd come out, and she brought Bill and I coffee, and she would walk out there with the coffee, and she'd always have little cookies or something there, and she'd find a flower from the garden, and she'd have it all, something pretty. It was always pretty. And she would walk up to us, and I felt so much love from that woman. I, in fact, when I think about all the things that happened when we were in Venezuela, she's one of my highlights because that woman loved me well. She loved me so well, and that is my, my, um, preto, my challenge. The challenge is, is, do you love well? Are you loving in a way that is memorable? Is that the right? Memorable? It's in English or Spanish. Well, they remember you. Are you loving in a way that when they come in? I just did a conference in Mexico City, and I said to Bill, my back, when it was over with, well, we'd gone through the earthquake, and that knocked me out of bed. But what happened was, after I ministered, these women wanted to be held. And I, I spent probably two hours after the ministry time holding women, just holding them. And as they, they, many of them were just in my arms weeping, and I just held them. That's all they needed. They needed to be held. They didn't need me to do any kind of major ministry. I was just holding women. I hold children. Sometimes there's no answer. I don't know how to help them. They've been abused, sexually tortured, things that have happened in their life, and I don't know how to help them, but I know how to love them. I know how to pull upon the grace of God. And by his grace and all of the pruning that has taken place and will continue to take place in my life, I've learned what it is to, to really to hold somebody and love them without giving them a solution. And, you know, sometimes that's enough. They just need to be held. I can't change your circumstances. I can't make all of these problems go away. I can't, I can't make the fact that your parents abandoned you and, and left you on the side of the road. I can't make that all go away for you. But I can love you with the love of Jesus Christ. And in the process, I know a little bit about this too. And so I want to encourage you tonight. I want to just encourage you in your walk with the Lord. You get focused, but get focused in the right balance. It is the most important thing that we will ever do. And I, I want to read this right before we play a song. Um, again, 1 Corinthians 13. And remember, it's sandwiched. This chapter is sandwiched. The last part of uh, chapter 12 says, But covet earnestly the best gifts, and yet show I unto you a more excellent way. And then it goes right into to thir- uh, 13, and that's the excellent way. And then as you come out of 13 and you go right into 14, This was the scripture that just kind of was the catalyst to all of this. Follow after love and desire spiritual gifts, but rather that you may prophesy. Follow after love like a bulldog. Lay hold of it and you don't let it go. God, I'm not letting you go until that grace is formed in my life, that I am a person that knows how to love and love deeply. Because I know that that's all that matters after I've got this foundation here of Jesus Christ. God, I'm building on this. And I want to build on thing with it, uh, build up with things that are going to last. I don't want to build with hay, wooden stubble, God. I want to build with, with things that are precious. 
God, I want to build upon this something that will last. And that when I see you face to face, God, I will not be empty-handed. I'm going to have a bunch of pomegranates. God, because I can't, when you get to heaven, you don't need bells. You won't be taking bells to heaven. You don't need the gift of prophecy in heaven. You don't need the gift of healing in heaven. Words of wisdom and knowledge. You don't need the gift of faith in heaven. But what you will be taking with you to heaven is your fruit. The fruit will go with you. And if you abide in the vine, you abide in him, and he abides in you, and you allow that little bit of pruning to come in, the promise is that you will bear much fruit, much fruit. And so uh, one last time here in 13, we preach long in, in Mexico. I'm sorry if I'm over, I'm, I'm going through it. Are you okay? Are we all right? Okay. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, and I have not love, I am become as a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and I understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and I have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor and though I become a missionary and I serve in Chiapas, Mexico, and though I give my body to be burned and I have not love, it profiteth me nothing. Love suffers long. Sometimes that's right in your own household. That's where the suffering is. That's where the transformation is taking place. It's love suffers long and it is kind. It does not envy. It does not vaunteth itself. It is not puffed up. It does not behave itself unseemly. It seeks not its own. It is not easily provoked. It thinks no evil. It rejoices not in iniquity, but it rejoices in truth. It bears all things It believes all things. It hopes all things. It endures all things. Love never fails, but whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. And whether there be tongues, they shall cease. And whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. When I was a child, I spoke as a child, and I understood as a child. I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know, even as I also am known. And now abideth faith, hope, and love, these three. But the greatest of these is love. Follow after love and desire spiritual gifts, but rather that you may prophesy. Amen. Amen. And that's it. If you get that right, you get an A+. Plus. It all gets boiled down to that. Would you mind playing that song for me? This, this song has just touched my heart while I've been um, in this time where the Lord's been um, marinating me in these scriptures. And, and I encourage you to get up in the morning and read 1 Corinthians 13 every day this week. Get up in the morning. That's your homework. And read and meditate on that. And you measure your life to the word of God. And then say, God, I want to walk in balance. I want to be a a nice sound as I'm moving around in you. And I want to bear much fruit. Amen? So if you could play that for me. Lord, this is where I want to be perfected. You know, there are times, honestly, with so many children and all of the work that we have there in Mexico, um, I just want to run. I have several times, Bill has found me, and I'm crumpled up in the closet or the shower, and I'm thinking... I can't do this, God. What you've asked me to do, I just can't do it. And and only he knows sometimes how hard that is because you have, there's just, 
there's usually a child attached someplace on me. There is a child attached or a person or just you're continually just trying. And, and sometimes whatever you do is never enough. Whatever you do is never enough. But if you bring it right back to who you serve and why you serve, and this is greater than this life, we are serving a king and a kingdom, and it's worth it all. It is worth it all. And we're all marching to that door just as Teresa passed through it. We are marching to that same door. And I want to walk through that door, and I want to get on the other side. And I am confident that Teresa heard these words from the Lord. Well done, my good and faithful servant. And my aim is to be right behind her, a little bit down the road, hopefully. But I want to be right behind her. And I want to walk in, and I want to look at him face to face. And I hope and I pray, my prayer is he will be able to say to me, you have loved well. You have loved well. Because that is my aim and my goal. And I don't do it very well all the time, but I'm much better at it now than I was 20 years ago. And I hope I'll be even better 20 years from now. God bless you guys, and thank you so much for allowing me to share with you tonight. Amen. I would love to. I would love to. Just to pray over you. Can you get to your feet? Can you stand up, please? My precious Savior, my loving God, I thank you for your goodness and your patience with us. I thank you for your kindness and your mercy. I thank you for the example, Lord, that we have in you, that as we follow in your footsteps, Lord, and as we lay hold of you, God, and we allow you to bring forth the sanctification, God, in our lives, God, as we allow you to break us, God, that the fragrance of your presence, God, will spill out over others, God, that in this process, God, as we develop this love, God, that, Lord, you are pleased. And, Lord, I pray for every person here, God, the youngest to the oldest, God, that the great goal in their life, the great aim in their life will be to pursue love. God, pursue love. God, to pursue you, God, to enter into this relationship, this intimacy with you, God, not so that we just get so much from it, God, but that we are transformed and able to take that love and to reach out to others, God, and to bring healing and hope and, and God, to see your gifts move, but to, to move in such a divine way, God, that every gift, God, that moves in our life is coated and absorbed, God, by the love and the fruit of the Spirit, Father. God, I'm asking you tonight to touch each and every person, God. You know where they are. God, you know where they might have made a, a detour in their walk with you, God, or how may they've got their eyes on the wrong thing, Father. And I'm asking you tonight, God, to refocus. Bring everyone back into focus, God, that we are choosing the right thing, that we are doing the right thing, that we are laying down our lives, God, for others. You said, God, to the disciples, God, to pick up your cross and follow me. Lord, that's exactly what we want to do. God, give us the grace to pick up our cross and to follow you, God. And Lord, I pray tonight that each and every person, the first thing that they need, God, is to know that they are loved. Please help them, God, to have this revelation, God, 
this encounter with you, that they are loved and highly valued, Lord. But, Lord, once that is very cemented, cemented into their hearts and lives, then I pray that the focus is off themselves and the focus is on others. God, help us to go out and to minister and to love others well. In the name of Jesus Christ, we all said amen. Amen. Amen.